Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. So you may say, well, what do, what do tongues have to do with the Holy Spirit? And tongues are a sign that accompanies receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, tongues are one of the gifts of the Spirit that we find in Scripture. And tongues are also serve as, an, as a devotional expression. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul is really correcting the misuses of tongues in the church of Corinth. Whenever they would gather together as the church, this is really what this chapter is about. He's addressing some of the problems the church was having during corporate worship uh, with the, the spiritual gift of tongues or the devotional gift of tongues that was in action. And so he's trying to kind of set the record straight and give them a good, uh, solid foundation. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 14, verse 1, and this is going to be uh, the main scriptural reference throughout uh, this message is chapter 14. We're going to have a, a lot of verses today, but 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is going to be our focus. So I know I mentioned some of this last week, but uh, it, it will be important in what we're going to talk about here today. But let's look at verse 1. It says this, uh, pursue love. And there's a reason why Paul states that right up front. Pursue love, and then he puts second, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So right here is the correction right in the beginning. Uh, if, you, if you take this, this chapter apart, this is the issue, and this is the correction right here in the very first statement. Number one, pursue love. Number two, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you prophesy. So Paul states that correction right up front. So we should desire to operate spiritual gifts, but love must be our motivation when it comes to spiritual gifts. Otherwise, if we don't operate in love, the spiritual gifts will really be siphoned of their power. So that's why Paul states that right up front, that, that we should pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. So let's go on to uh, the next. And just if you forgot what, what love, uh, you know, how love is defined in the Word of God, because really that's what's most important. It's not how we really define love. It's how the Word of God defines love. So when Paul says pursue love, uh, this is what he's speaking about. So just in the previous chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 5, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. You can see how that definition of love could play heavily into a church that, that had some issues with each other when they worshiped together and whenever they got around each other. So love will prevent the Corinthians from being so me-centered when it comes to the exercise of spiritual gifts in a corporate setting. That's what Paul's really trying to establish right up front. You know, the last thing we want in regards to spiritual gifts is me-centered flesh. Uh, love keeps the expression of the gifts pure. So love keeps the expression of all spiritual gifts pure. Why is that? Because it takes us out of the equation. It's not about us. So the first verse shares the corrective measure concerning the misuse of tongues. Pursue love, first and foremost. Desire to operate spiritual gifts and especially that we operate in the gift of prophecy. The second verse then goes on to share the essence of tongues. What is tongues? Well, Paul tells us what tongues is here in the very next verse. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. In the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. So the essence of tongues is really simple. It's really clear 
that when you speak in tongues, you're speaking to God, not men. So that's the essence of all tongues in the Bible, in the New Testament. Uh, a believer who is, uh, receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a sign, they're speaking to God, not to men. A believer who is used in the gift of tongues is not speaking to men, they're speaking to God. A believer who is praying in a tongue is not speaking to men, they are speaking to God. All three expressions share the same essence. So a believer who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, they are speaking to God. So let's move on to why Paul encourages prophecy over the gift of tongues. Because there's a reason why Paul is trying to encourage the church to move towards prophecy rather than the gift of tongues. I'll show you here. Let's go to verse 3 first and foremost. Uh, but he who prophesies speaks, look at this, edification and exhortation and comfort to men. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. But he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Paul goes on to say this, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So Paul is trying to really take the zeal of the Corinthians and, and steer them towards prophesying. Remember, if a person prophesies in the church, if it's genuine, it will, it will, it will result in this, edification, exhortation, and comfort. And Paul gives it a, right here in the earlier verses. So if a person prophesies in the church, it should, if it's genuine, if it's from the Spirit of God, it should edify, it should exhort, it should comfort. Now, I've been in church services where prophecy did the opposite. All right? Prophecy tore people down. Prophecy discouraged people. Uh, prophecy brought confusion, condemnation, and sometimes just embarrassment. That's not prophecy. That's not the nature. That's not the essence of prophecy Paul shares here with the church. And remember this. The purpose of prophecy in the New Testament differs from prophecy in the Old Testament. All you have to do is really look at the exercise of prophecy in the New Testament and look at prophecy in the Old Testament. When you read the two, you're like, this is not the same. The essence is the same. Prophecy is this. Men are God speaking to men, giving a message to men given a message to a man or a woman to speak to men. That's the nature or the essence of prophecy. Tongues is the opposite, right? Tongues is men speaking to God. When a person prays in tongues, they're not speaking to men, they're speaking to God. Prophecy is just the opposite. It's God speaking to a man or a woman who shares a message to men and women, All right? That's the essence. It does not change. So the essence of prophecy doesn't change, but the function of prophecy in the New Testament has changed. So whoever, uh, if you have a gift of prophecy, this is how the New Testament operates. It should edify, it should encourage, it should comfort the church. That's the essence, or that's the, the essence of God speaking to man, but that's the function of prophecy in the New Testament. So when a person speaks in tongues, that person is edified. However, the church isn't edified unless it, the gift is interpreted. So even if tongues, if the tongues are interpreted, Paul states this, in a corporate gathering like ours, prophecy is the preferred gift. Okay, prophecy is the preferred gift. That's why he says, listen, I, I'm glad you speak in tongues, but I wish that you would all prophesy. So let's go on down to verses 12 and 13. So it is with you, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those gifts 
that build up the church. Don't try to excel in the gifts that build up you in the church. In the church, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray, look at that, he should pray, that they may interpret what they say. So when a person speaks in a tongue, they aren't speaking to men, they are speaking to God. You say, why do you keep saying that? Because it's important that I say that. Because we get this all messed up. The speaker, if they're speaking in tongues, is receiving edification. They're edified. But the church doesn't receive edification unless the tongue is interpreted. Now, an interpretation of tongues, again, is a person sharing more or less what a person is saying to God in tongues, and it's not a translation. An interpretation is not a translation. Completely different words and purpose. So an interpretation of tongues should, should summarize what a person is saying to God. Now, in the Pentecostal movement, we have two perspectives on this concerning the interpretation of tongues. The interpretation of tongues is a person sharing what's being said more or less by the person who is speaking to God in an unknown language. Makes sense, right? Because when a person speaks to tongue, in tongues, they're not speaking to men, they are speaking to God. So it's more or less what that, it's not a translation of what they're saying, it's more or less, it's an interpretation of what they're saying. Because they don't understand, that was stated right up in the beginning, right? Second view, and this seems to be the predominant view actually. Now we as an Assemblies of God church, we are not forced to preach one or the other. Uh, we have that, that distinction we can, as pastors, we can choose. But I, I don't, the reason why I don't go for this one is because there is no example of this in Scripture. So here's what happens often in, our, in churches that operate in tongues and interpretation. An interpretation of tongues becomes equivalent to prophecy, meaning the interpretation results in prophecy, a word spoken to man by God. But how can that be? Because tongues is a man speaking to God. How can the interpretation then be God speaking to man? does not compute. Interpretation should be what that person is saying to God. And there's evidence to back that up clearly uh, throughout Scripture, that they would heard them rejoicing and magnifying, speaking in tongues and magnifying God, rejoicing. But we never find one example in Scripture where a person speaks in tongues, someone gives the interpretation, and the interpretation is prophecy. There's not one example. We don't find one single Example that we say in the book of Acts, Acts chapter whatever, verse whatever, someone gave a tongues and interpretation and it was, it was a prophecy. We don't have one example. So we have to go back to what the essence of tongues is and what the essence of prophecy is. And that really keeps us straight. It keeps us going down the right path. Someone asked me this last week. So in the past when I've heard someone speak in tongues, they give the interpretation and they said, thus saith the Lord, how could that be then? I said, you tell me. There it is in the verse. I said, now, I think what happens is, I don't think people are trying to be dishonest. I don't think that people are trying to be uh, malicious. Number one, I think there's a lot of history, and I think there's a lot of tradition that this is the way it was done in my church before, this is the way it's done here. Uh, secondly, I think this happens. Uh, God might be giving that person a word, but it's not the interpretation of tongues. It should, have, should operate separate from that. So remember, when a person speaks in a tongue, they aren't speaking to men, they are speaking to God. Again, how can interpretation of tongues result in what God is saying to man? An interpretation of tongues should be in the essence of what a person is saying to God. A prayer, a praise, even a proclamation. That's what the interpretation should consist of. 
Now, over the years, I've heard interpretations, hundreds, I, I can't tell you, hundreds of interpretations. There was a gift of tongues, there was an interpretation, and most of them shared as a prophecy, a message from God. But I'm going to be truly honest with you, over all the years, I can't remember one that really stood out to me. One that really had some deep, profound, prophetic value. Now, on the other hand, I've heard a prophecy given, independent of tongues, independent of an interpretation. Someone just had a prophetic word, and man, I'll tell you what, I remember many of those. The detail that was given. Uh, also, the confirmation that they often provided. Because often with prophecy, the gift of prophecy, it, it's, not, it's not spooky or crazy. Usually, with a prophetic word, God has stirred something in you or in your church. And someone gives a prophecy, and it comes into alignment with that. There's a, an agreement that takes place. So when that happens, it really, give, it really encourages your faith as well. It, it encourages your faith to do this. Let's say a church was called, you know, that, that we were fasting, we were praying as a church uh, as to our mission. We're, we're called to reach homeless people, let's say. We're just, that's going to be our focus, our mission. Do we really want that? You know, we, we're praying about, we're fasting. And let's say a visitor comes. And they just have a word, and they share a word that coincides exactly with what we're praying and fasting about. That would be a prophetic word, and that would bring confirmation. That would bring comfort. That would bring edification. That's exactly how that's supposed to work. But let's just face it. I've been in, excuse me, I'm sure some of you have been there too, where you've been in tongues and interpretation in Kookyville. And it's just like, you know, I, yeah, I felt something, but it just didn't make sense. And what I mean is this, it didn't make sense with the scripture. It just, something wasn't right. And our experience should always go back to the word of God. The spirit and the word will always agree. So here's why prophecy should be desired in a church service more than tongues. Paul gives it to us in verses 24 and 25. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all. And the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. See, tongues have an interpretation with an interpretation that corporate service does not have the same effect as prophecy. It can't because it's someone uttering a praise, a prayer, or a proclamation. Prophecy is getting to be to where it's very detailed. It's very personal. It's very uh, attached to that church. Tongues that are accompanied by an interpretation can result in edification. The Bible clearly says that, that you can be edified, but it doesn't have that same convicting revelation power that prophecy has. It can't be tongues is, it can't be because tongues is, speak, again, a man speaking to God or a woman speaking to God, but prophecy is God speaking to men. That's why it has a more profound prophetic revelation effect upon the church. Let's go down to verses 14 and 17. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will, look at this, I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, and I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving? since they don't know what you're saying. You're giving thanks well enough. There's another hint. You're speaking in tongues giving thanks. There's again, you're, you're giving thanks to God in an unknown language. 
But how can they say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. So when a person prays in tongues, their spirit is edified, but their mind isn't experiencing the same benefit. So what's Paul saying? You should do both. You should pray in the spirit, and you should pray with understanding. So notice that when Paul says when a person speaks in a tongue, they're, not off, they're offering it thanksgiving. And again, it makes sense because they are speaking to God. They are being edified, but those who are hearing aren't edified. And here's why this was the conundrum. Because people were praying to God in the Spirit. They were praising God. They were worshiping God. They were singing, but it wasn't the gift in operation because the gift has a corporate effect. But the personal prayer language that we have, praying in the Spirit, is meant to be devotional. And what happened is this. They got confused about the devotional aspect of tongues and then the gift of tongues. They had it all messed up. So when they showed up to have church, they just all spoke in tongues. And then people are like, whew, people show up to church. What is going on in that place? It is Cuckooville. So they are being edified, but those who are hearing who didn't understand, or maybe were unbelievers, didn't understand, they weren't edified. There's nothing wrong with praying in the Spirit in order to edify your spirit. That's not the issue. Paul says we can pray in the Spirit, and we can, look at this, we can sing in the Spirit. Now, for some of you, that's a stretch. You're like, that just seems weird, but it's not. It's biblical. It's nothing wrong with you pray in the Spirit. You can sing in the Spirit as well. But it's not just that's, that takes, encompasses everything. That's all you do. You should sing, and you should pray in English as well on your understanding. So both will edify us personally, and that's why tongues are mainly devotional and only benefit the congregation if they are interpreted. So the Corinthians understood this effect that they had. They knew this. When I pray in the Spirit, when I pray in tongues, something's, something happens in me. I mean, I'm encouraged. I feel better. I feel more peace, more comfort, whatever it is. I feel better. So <clears throat> when we come to church and we all do this, man, we should all really feel good then. And, you know, there was somewhat of a selfish aspect, but I think also there was, hey, this, this is good for us. But again, Paul points this out. But what happens when an unbeliever or someone who is uninformed, someone who might be a believer, but they don't understand? What's the effect upon them? And that's what often is missing in Pentecostal churches is that consideration is removed. There's nothing wrong with praying in the Spirit during church. Nothing wrong with that. But we cannot make it about ourselves, and that's the error Paul was correcting in a congregational setting. In a corporate setting, if you're praying in the Spirit, pray, look at this, pray at a volume where no one else has to hear you. What is wrong with that? What is wrong with praying in the Spirit Unless it's the gift, unless you feel compelled as a gift, but otherwise you just need to pray like you would normal. So in a corporate setting, if you're going to pray in the Spirit, pray in a volume where others don't need to hear you. However, again, if you feel like it's the gift, you're prompted by the Spirit to give a message in tongues, it must, it must be in, interpreted. It must be accompanied by an interpretation. Please hear me, this isn't about hiding tongues. There's, there, there's nothing to be ashamed of when it comes to tongues. This, this is about becoming in alignment with God's Word. Because this is exactly what Paul was talking about. It isn't trying to hide tongues on Sunday morning. It's not about that whatsoever. It's a matter of coming into alignment with, with, God, with God's Word. That's why Paul started this chapter with these words. Pursue love. Love is selfless. Love is focused on others. And then desire spiritual gifts. Love always trumps zeal. 
Love makes us more aware of those around us and less focused on ourselves. Love prevents us from becoming a distraction. Love prevents us from confusing a non-believer or confusing a believer who doesn't understand. Paul later says this in verse 40, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Now, you visit some Pentecostal churches, and that verse is thrown out the window. As if order, order and decency, or fitting and orderly way, is somehow anti-Holy Spirit. It's somehow quenching the Spirit. As if God didn't have a plan when he, he created us. I mean, God is a, a God of plan and design. You can't look at creation without seeing that. The gifts of the Spirit operate the same way, with order and decency. They'll always exalt Jesus. They'll always edify. They'll always encourage. They'll always comfort. They will not cause chaos and confusion. So are we being mindful of others when we're compelled by love? Hopefully so, because that's the intent of love, is that you are mindful of others. So if we're edified but others are confused, is that the goal of the gifts of the Spirit in the church? Well, I'm edified stinks to be you. Sorry about it. I mean, that's the epitome of selfishness, is it not? And that's exactly what Paul was trying to combat with this church, not just in the area of tongues. There were other areas where they were just plain selfish people. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the Spirit, how can anyone else who is now in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. So if you're praising God in tongues and people hear you because the volume you're choosing, listen, they don't have much of a choice but to really be held hostage by you speaking in tongues. Tongues should never be a focus in a service unless it is the gift of tongues, and it must be interpreted, period. Now, I know that goes against the grain of some of our Pentecostal traditions, but it doesn't go against our theology. It doesn't go against our doctrine, and it doesn't go against the Word of God. Tongues should never be the focus in a service. That's why Paul said, I'd rather you, I, you speak things, that's fine, but I'd rather you prophesy. Again, the same Holy Spirit that's inspiring Paul is the same Holy Spirit that is moving in your life. So tongues should never be the focus. If you're operating in tongues as a devotional expression, if you're praying to God in the Spirit, you're here this morning, you're worshiping God, you're praying in the Spirit, why does anyone else need to hear you? Or do you want to be heard? Is that the point? Paul says this, how can those around you rejoice if they don't understand what you're saying? They can't unless it is accompanied by an interpretation. That's why there has to be a distinction between the devotional gift of tongues and the gift of tongues. There has to be a distinction between the, the essence is the same, it's just the function is different. You might be rejoicing in an unknown tongue. But if it's not the gift of tongues, why does everyone have to be held hostage by your rejoicing? Again, I think that there's a fleshly component to that because we want them held. Let's just be honest. Some of you have been in Pentecostal churches and had this experience where you know this, that a person gave the gift of tongues and interpretation, and it wasn't about the church. It was about them. And we as pastors sometimes get scared. Oh, I don't know how to correct this because if I do, they'll get mad and they'll go down the road and they'll go to another church, you know. I don't really care. I'm just being honest with you. I don't really care. Because the Word has to come first. The Bible has to come first. So the purpose of tongues, one person is edified, but it shouldn't be, others shouldn't be held hostage by that person's rejoicing. 
So let's say this. Let's say you're in service and, and someone has a, a, a malignant tumor or some growth or a broken bone or some, just some malady that you can physically see. <clears throat> and we pray for them at the altar and they're healed and they begin rejoicing, celebrating. You can say, well, that person is holding us at hostage. If you can't celebrate and join in with that, there's something wrong with you then, right? But this isn't apples to apples. That's not an apples to apples comparison. So we're talking about the misuse of tongues and the misuse of the gifts here. Look at this in verse 18. I thank God, and this is Paul speaking, I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, but in the church, I would rather you speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now you know this, church, if you've been in a Pentecostal church, we somehow, some, for whatever reason, we take these verses out and we ignore them. Why do we do that? If we had embraced them and allowed them to give us some guidelines, they would only do this. It would only authenticate the gifts. It would only authenticate the spiritual operations. But again, I think we, fe we fear, because we, we don't want to be accused of quenching the Spirit. But listen, the Word is on your side. There should be no fear. Paul acknowledges that he speaks in tongues more than anyone. He also makes this distinction in the church. When believers are gathered, he would rather us speak intelligibly, intelligibly to each other. Again, is he forbidding tongues in the church? Not at all. Just the opposite. Verse 39, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But the main purpose of tongues is devotional. It's to edify the speaker. That is the main person. They're largely devotional. Are they only devotional? No. Because God can use them then as a gift, but it must be interpreted. So when you're in church, if you speak in tongues loud enough for others to hear you, you're signaling to everyone else around to be quiet. We've all been there. I don't think that's wrong. You're in a service and someone starts beginning to speak in tongues loudly, then we're going to all quiet down. Why is that? Because we believe that this is the gift of tongues in operation. Sometimes people do that, and it's not the gift of tongues in operation. They're just being loud. But see, if that's the place that we quiet down, it causes that distraction, that disruption, or that just, again, that hiccup in the service, that pause, we, you're signaling to the church that this is the gift of tongues, and we're expecting an interpretation. I've heard people say this in regards to believers who are overzealous concerning spiritual gifts. I've heard pastors say this. I would rather have wildfire than no fire. You ever heard that? Why don't you go out to out west, the people that have had their homes destroyed by wildfire? Why don't we go to a place where people have lost their lives, where people, fa family have lost their lives, lost their homes, lost everything because of wildfire? I, I totally disagree in the spiritual realm. I'd rather have no fire than wildfire. I've seen wildfire in churches cause more damage than, any than no fire. At least with no fire, you can do this. You get back to the Word, and we put that as our, as our channel. And you know what? Fire, when fire is used properly, fire can do amazing things. But when it gets out of control, it is devastating. So I'd rather have no fire than wildfire anytime. Because again, I've seen it devastate churches. I've seen it devastate ministries. I've seen it devastate people. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while you're, everyone is prophesying, 
They are convicted of sin, brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship, exclaiming, God is really among you. Let's say we as a church feel led to pray in the Spirit during a Sunday morning service. Again, I don't have an issue with that. I don't think there's a problem with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. We're going through something right now. We're going through some, something tragic has happened. Whatever, we're at a place. Let's pray in the Spirit. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. However, again, however, just use some sense with it, right? Have some order. Have some decency. Does everyone, what if there's people here that don't understand, don't know? Do they have to hear you praying in the Spirit for it to be more effective? Where in the Bible is this? Thus saith the Lord, you shall pray loudly in tongues so that everybody can hear you. So again, I don't have an issue with praying in the Spirit. It's all about order and decency. It all is in alignment with the character and nature of God. Is God hard of hearing? Are tongues more effective when we speak louder? Could it be that sometimes it's just this, our flesh creeps into it? Maybe we just want to be heard at some point. Could it be that sometimes we just want to be heard, we want to be seen, we want to be recognized? Sure, it happens. The problems in Corinth wasn't tongues, by the way. It wasn't tongues. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. It wasn't the gifts of the Spirit. It wasn't the activity of the Holy Spirit. Paul was peeling back all those layers, exposing the selfishness of that church. That was the real issue. Corinth was a church saturated with selfishness. It, it, it had perverted the genuineness of spiritual gifts. Their motivation wasn't love and selflessness. Their motivation was selfishness and a desire to be heard, seen, and respected. We see the same desire seen, heard, respected, value, desired, bubbling up in, in Pentecostal services. And we as pastors really just need to take the lead and say, okay, hold on, folks. Let's get some order in the house. But again, why don't we do that? Because maybe we ourselves don't know, or we're afraid. If we feel compelled to pray in the Spirit during church, that's fine. We're not forbidding that. Please hear me. But it should be done in consideration with others. It should be done in love. And if we all start speaking in tongues during church because we all want to be edified, it will come at a cost. It will come at a cost because there's, there's no doubt that in a church comes together, they're all going to pray in, the tongue, in tongues, there will be unbelievers there. There will be people who don't know or understand, and it will come at a cost. It will come at their cost. Is that really love? Well, we're being led by the Spirit. No, you're not. You're absolutely not because you're contradicting the Word of God. Is that our goal? Is that really what we want? A personal benefit that outweighs the needs of others. Church, that doesn't even line up with the great commandment. Our personal benefit outweighing the needs of others. Why can't we pray out loud in the Spirit at home all you want? You can pray at whatever volume you choose there. Why can't we pray aloud in Spirit during our devotional time? Are we trying to hide tongues? No. Order and decency. Why do we want to bring confusion? Why would that even enter into the equation? Why is it necessary to pray in a manner where people are gathered unless it's followed by interpretation? Why do we have to pray in a volume where others can hear unless it's followed by interpretation? People who think they're super spiritual usually will say this. They'll condemn exactly what I'm saying. I get it. I, that's fine with me because I feel like the Bible is definitely on our side of this. But usually what happens is people who appear to be super spiritual are very super immature. And they really don't care if you're held at hostage as long as they get from God what they want. 
as long as they feel edified, as long as they experience, and they don't really care. If you don't get in, that's your problem. I've been in churches where that's been said. Get in or get out. See, if you want to pray in the Spirit loudly, boldly, sing in the Spirit loudly, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. Please do it. But in the church, there needs to be respect for others. I'm not forbidding tongues. I'm just saying these are the guidelines. These are the rules. I pray that I pray in the Spirit this morning. I prayed in the Spirit half the time. I just pray because, number one, my focus, my attention, I feel like is preparing my spirit, preparing myself to be ready to preach. That's, that's my goal. That's what I'm here for today. It's devotional. It's a conversation between me and God. Why do you need to hear that? 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Everything must be done so that the church may be built up or edified. When you come together as a church, it, should be, it shouldn't be a free-for-all. Right here, Paul even says there, there needs to be an order of service. It's not more spiritual if there's no order of service. We just came to church. There was no preaching. We just, had, we just went. That is somehow more spiritual. But Paul clearly here is trying to give them some instruction. I mean, if we look at this church, we know this, that they don't even have a pastor yet. There's really no pastoral leadership there. That's why Paul is writing from Ephesus to the Corinthians. He's trying to manage messes. So there is no spiritual leadership there. There's a void, and he's trying to fill that. He said, listen, let's do some things with some order and some decency here. Paul shares an order of service that includes, could, could include spiritual gifts. But again, must be done, conducted in an orderly manner. Why? So that those who are gathered are edified. It shouldn't be this, that half of us walk away edified. Man, that was great, man. We had church today. And others was like this. What the heck was that? That shouldn't be the outcome. Houston, we have a problem, right? Verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. I don't know what you see, but I see order there. I see order. I see decency. If there is no interpreter, this verse should really stand up out to all of us, all Pentecostal churches. We should focus on this. Hey, look at this. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Keep it devotional. Don't make it congregational if there's no one there to interpret. Boy, how many of you heard that this would be, this is a question I got last week. How do you know if there is an interpreter there? That's the right question to ask, by the way. How, how do we know then? Well, see, what that does, then it puts the responsibility back on the person, which we don't like that, do we? Hey, listen, you know this in Pentecostal, it's easy to give the message in tongues. Let someone else deal with that. Let someone else deal with the interpretation. Uh, 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 that's not what the Bible's saying. See, most churches who have issues with tongues and interpretation don't consider this verse as a personal responsibility to the person speaking, but they should. This is often the idea. That's not my responsibility. I, 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 I'm, just, I'm led to give the tongues. That's someone else's problem. That's someone else's gift. That's someone else. Then you should stay silent is what the Bible says. Pray to God. Pray to your son. I know this runs contrary to our, our Pentecostal traditions, but it doesn't run contrary to the Word of God. Which is more important, the Word of God or our traditions? Are we, are we followers of Jesus or are we just Pharisees that are Pentecostal? You don't speak in a speaking tongues as a spiritual gift in a congregational setting loud enough to where people can hear you unless there's someone there to interpret. So if you don't know if there's someone present who operates in the gift of interpretation, 
that, but you insist, you insist, I'm being led by the Spirit to give this tongue, then you are responsible to give the interpretation. That way you don't cause confusion. You don't cause chaos. You know this, if there's a tongues and it's not followed by an interpretation, there's this silence. Everyone's like, well, what was that? It shouldn't result in that. It, it shouldn't be that way. The same Holy Spirit who gave you the tongues will give you the interpretation. Did he somehow just check out on you? Like, hey, I'll give you the tongue, but I'm not giving you the rest. God is a God of order, not confusion. A God of decency. Paul says we don't share the gift of tongues in a church unless someone is present to interpret. What is he trying to do? He's trying to bring order to that church saying, Bill, Joe, Becky, Sue, you don't speak in tongues anymore unless you know someone is there to interpret. Well, God is leading me. God, pray to God yourself, but you wait till so-and-so is there to interpret. That's exactly what he's saying. He's trying to, to, to instruct them. That you need to have some order. You need to have some decency. You can't just go flying off speaking in tongues, interrupt the service, whatever you want, do whatever you want. That's not the way it works. The gift of tongues followed by the interpretation is meant to edify the church. It's not meant to bring confusion. It's meant to bring edification. Well, pastor, the Holy Spirit just comes on me. I just can't stop. Again, the Holy Spirit gets the blame. But it's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit would then be contradicting the word that he inspired. If I shared the tongue, someone else should give the interpretation. I was just being obedient to the Holy Spirit. You know, that's a great facade of false humility, by the way. But I've been, here, I've been a pastor, and I've been in the ministry long enough to be able to see through that. It's really just someone being selfish. It's someone being selfish or someone just very immature. Let's go to verses 32 and 33. The spirits of the prophet are subject to the control of prophets. And God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. The same Holy Spirit who comes upon you is the same Holy Spirit who inspired the Scriptures. Remember that. If you're born again, you are, your spirit should be subject to you. Self-control. Isn't it ironic that people say this? Well, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit just comes upon me. I just have no control. But yet the fruit of the Spirit, one of them is self-control. So somehow when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit in operation, the Holy Spirit abandons that. You don't have control. I'm just going to take over. But when you're going to live outside of the church and you're going to live right, I need to be, you know, you need to be self-controlled under, under submission of his power and authority. That doesn't compute, does it? Verse 33, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So if us being led by the Spirit causes confusion, chaos, frustration, we aren't being led by the Spirit. So what is the benefit of praying in the Spirit? What is the purpose of praying in the Spirit? What is the purpose, a devotional purpose of praying in tongues? What is that purpose of praying in an unknown language? When you're, prayer, you're in your prayer closet, you're going down the road, you begin to pray in the Spirit. What is the benefit of that? <clears throat> well, Paul, again, speaks this in the beginning, in verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So in a church setting you would want to edify the church. Prophecy would be the most beneficial. But if you're alone and you're edifying yourself, praying in the Spirit is beneficial. You want to pray in the Spirit to edify, to build you up. The word edify, like edifice, like a building. So you're building up, you're strengthening, you're encouraging. Jude 20 says this, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. The nature of praying in the Spirit is edification. It's encouragement. It's strength. If you pray in the Spirit, your spirit is built up. 
Pray in the Spirit doesn't replace all spiritual disciplines. So if you do this, well, I'm just going to pray in the Spirit all the time. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to worship. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to serve. It's not a replace. For some of you, it's like a missing puzzle piece. It's a missing puzzle piece in your devotional life. That, you know what, I, I pray, I sing, I worship, I read my Bible, I study, I serve, I give, I do all these things, but it's just something still missing. And it's that, develop, that devotional component of praying in the Spirit that is probably missing. I would explain praying in the Spirit as that way, as a missing component of many of our lives. It's not just a gift that happens in church. No, it, the main purpose is devotional. I'll give you an example here in Ephesians 6.18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. In the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Where is that at? Where is that verse located at? The armor of God. I truly believe God wants us to pray in the Spirit. And there's a reason why. Yet we're edified. But I think it goes beyond that. It's, it's a, part, a vital component of a believer's life. Again, some of you, it's a missing component. Once you've been born again, you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, pray, and praying in the Spirit can be a, come a devotional tool for you. For every person who receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For instance, there are times we need to pray because we don't know how to pray or what to pray. You ever been there? Life hits you. You don't know what to pray. You don't know how to pray. You just know this. I'm hurting. I'm down. I'm weak. I'm lost. What do I do? That's when you pray in the Spirit. When you don't have words, when you start to pray and words run out, that's when you pray in the Spirit. You can be having a great day. It's like, well, I just prayed five minutes. I just feel like pray in the Spirit. Why is that? Romans 8, 26. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how to pray. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. There are many times when you don't have the strength or the words to pray, but you pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is devotional. We are edified when we pray in the Spirit. Praying is a spiritual weapon. It's a tool. It's part of our arsenal. It's something that we should do. When we don't know how to pray, we pray in the Spirit. Amen? Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.